0: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: There's a lot of inconsistencies about her and Dylan's story. Back in December, before all this happened, Christian is buying some furniture for the apartment. And he sends Whitley to the credit union to get money. Well, they tell Whitley that Christian has to be with her to get the money, they won't give her any money. So she sends Christian a text and says, they wouldn't give me the money, you have to be with me. He ends up wiring her the money. So they can't say he didn't know. Obviously he knew you can't send somebody to the credit union and they're just gonna give the money. To me, that was significant because again, you can prove that he had knowledge that that ain't gonna work.
2: Her attorney called and said that the reason Christian was moved was because Dylan was going through his pockets.
1: He just randomly called and said, hey, you know, we're still saying this was a suicide, but Whitley's saying that the reason why the forensics is not matching up is because Dylan went through Christian's pockets and was looking for money. And then, of course, Dylan had told people that Whitley went through Christian's pockets looking for cigarettes, and that's why he was moved. Whitley lied about having his phone. She had his phone for hours, then lied to the police and said, I don't have his phone. She lied about having his phone for a reason.
3: As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend simply safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught crime is just waiting to happen so be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe the best home security system of 2024 according to US News and World Report Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind and i want you to have it too get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring just visit simplysavecom slash culpable. That's simplysavecom slash culpable. There's no safe like simply safe.
4: Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline— Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
3: For a minute here, I'm going to keep things simple. Here's where we are. It's February 26th. According to Dylan and Whitley, Christian is found dead in the upstairs bathroom of his apartment. We are unsure of the exact time. Dylan calls 911 and reports the incident at approximately 4.45 p.m. Police and EMT are dispatched and arrive at the apartment just after 5. And Christian is pronounced dead at the scene. Detective Wilburn with the Meridian Police calls and then meets Ray and Todd to give them the news. Ray calls her brother, Christian's uncle, Chris Thompson. Now, this is where things start to get complex. We pick up here with Chris. It was somewhere around maybe 7.30 or 8 o'clock,
2: Ray called me. She was crying, which Ray doesn't do very often. And she told me that she wanted me to go to Christian's apartment and that the police had come to our house and said that Christian was dead. Of course, you know, that kind of threw me for a loop. I didn't know Christian's schedule, but she finally got out that Christian, she said it can't be him because he's on the boat. And I said, well, you know, just calm down. Surely it's not. I ride over to his apartment, and I get there. And by the time I've gotten there, they had crime scene tape around his front door. There were one or two police officers or cars there. I asked somebody, I said, you know, that's that's my nephew. Where is he? And uh, they told me they couldn't tell me. They said that there'd been a death in there and that I need to go down to the police station. So uh, I called somebody on the force that I knew and asked them if they had had any information or anything that they could tell me. And they told me that Christian was dead. And I said, you sure it was him? And they said, yeah, You know, his identification was in his pocket. So I go down to the police station. Officer Thompson, he came out. I asked him what happened and he said that uh, that was apparently a suicide and right off the bat that didn't sit right with me and I said well a little bit confused I don't understand you know his mother says he was on a tugboat we don't know what he was doing in Meridian he told me that there was two people at the apartment and that they were had them back in the back and we're asking them questions. So, at this point I called Ray and told her that I was afraid that it was true. I hadn't seen Christian yet, but they had already taken the body before I got there. And that, you know, it had been verified that it was him. I asked Officer Thompson where the keys to his apartment was, if I could go in there. And he told me I could, and then my better senses got a hold and I said, Well wait a minute, you know, I don't wanna disturb anything. Does anybody need to go with me? And he said, No, he said, it's it's okay, you can go in there. Thought that was a little strange at first, considering, you know, I mean it was should have been an open crime scene. But went over there, went upstairs, and the door was open to the bathroom i looked in the bathroom and that's as far as i got i turned around and came back outside so i left locked the door and it dawned on me that where christian's cell phone was i think my sister at some point in time had called and asked about that so i went back to the police station and got Detective Thompson and he came out and I asked him where Christian's cell phone was and where the keys to his vehicle was. And He said I don't know. And I said well one of those two back there knows exactly where it's at and I'm not leaving until we either know where it's at, till either y'all have it or we have it or something. He asked her, he goes back in there it's my understanding he told her that she wasn't going to leave till the cell phone was found. He said she reached down in her purse and handed it to him, and the keys to one of Christian's vehicles. That right there should
3: have been enough to ask some more questions. Surprisingly, the incident with the cell phone did not lead to additional questions. We're talking about a dead man's phone in the possession of a suspect for hours who lied about having it. That's pretty suspicious. But the phone was handed over, and it seems that was the end of it. There's nothing related to the cell phone found in the police report. And unfortunately, the phone wouldn't provide the Andreacchios any answers upon retrieval. It was locked. They attempted every relative pin code they could think of, but to no avail. Now, while on the subject, the Andriakios were able to acquire Christian's call records from AT&T. Here's a rundown. Christian called Whitley five times between 5.16 p.m. on February 25th and 12.50 a.m. on February 26th. Then one more call to Whitley was placed at 7.15 a.m. on February 26th. She did not answer any of his calls. There were four calls to and from Dylan between 1.37 a.m and 8 a.m. on February 26th. This presumably had to do with the arrangements being made to be picked up from the boat. And there was an additional incoming call from Dylan at 12.40 p.m. One call to Ray was placed at 7.43 a.m. Christian kept it short and said he had to get off the phone to work and did not mention anything about getting off the boat. Where it gets interesting is after the last call to Dylan at 12.40. After that 12.40 p.m. call, there was no activity until 3.44 p.m. It's important to note here that the coroner estimated the time of death to be 3.30 p.m., but from 3.44 p.m. to 3.54 p.m., Christian's phone was used to call Matt Miller six times, and one additional call to Matt was placed at 5.11 p.m. None of these calls were answered. And finally, between 4.48 p.m. and 4.55 p.m., Christian's phone was used to place one call to an unknown number, one call to a close friend of Dylan's, and there's a call to and from Dylan's mother. This is the end of the phone activity, per AT&T's report. Now, back to the police station on February 26th. Dylan and Whitley are with investigators. Chris Thompson is also present and just obtained Christian's phone that Whitley concealed from police. Dylan and Whitley give their statements to police, and afterwards are asked some questions. But they weren't asked many, and a majority of them were either previously answered in their statements, or were just not pertinent to the case. Basically, they were questioned, but they weren't interrogated. So for now, I'd like to recap their statements. That's where the context is. We'll start with Dylan's.
5: At 1.37 a.m., Dylan gets a call from Christian asking to be picked up in St. Rose, Louisiana. Dylan leaves Meridian at approximately 4 a.m., drives to St. Rose, Louisiana, and picks up Christian at approximately 8 a.m. They make one stop at a gas station on the drive back to Meridian. During the drive, Christian tells Dylan he's going to the apartment because Whitley has been hanging out with a guy named Matt Miller. Around 1130 AM, Christian and Dylan arrive at the apartment. Christian confronts Whitley about her hanging out with Matt. Whitley does not remember the activities she and Matt participated in due to the usage of Xanax. Dylan describes an altercation in which Christian puts a gun to his head and asks Whitley, do you love me? Which results in Dylan taking the gun from Christian and hiding it. Around noon, Dylan leaves to get food from Chick-fil-A and withdraw money from Christian's account at MUNA Federal Credit Union. He is unable to withdraw the money. Dylan returns to the apartment. Christian and Whitley leave the apartment. Dylan falls asleep. Christian and Whitley return to the apartment. Dylan wakes up two hours later. Whitley is asleep in the bedroom, and Christian is sitting on the couch in the living room. Dylan retrieves the gun he hid and gives it back to Christian. Dylan leaves and drives to Best Buy to look at speakers. Dylan returns to the apartment. Whitley is still sleeping. Dylan walks upstairs and notices the bathroom light is on. He knocks and asks, are you all right? No response. Dylan walks downstairs and tells Whitley they need to check on Christian. Whitley falls back asleep. Dylan walks back upstairs, knocks and asks, Christian, are you okay? No response. Dylan opens the bathroom door and sees Christian dead laying over the side of the bathtub. Dylan yells, Whitley, Christian is dead. We have to call 911. Whitley runs upstairs and begins holding Christian. Dylan calls 911 to report the incident.
3: And here's a recap of Whitley's statement.
5: February 25th, Christian tells Whitley he's coming home and quitting his job. Christian arrives at the apartment, and he and Whitley leave to go to Bonita Lakes Park. While at the park, Christian tells Whitley he feels like between her and his mom, he couldn't make anyone happy. Christian and Whitley return to the apartment. Whitley lays down in the bedroom and goes to sleep. Dylan wakes up Whitley. Whitley goes upstairs to the bathroom and finds Christian dead, laying over the side of the bathtub.
3: Whitley's alibi is obviously very short. Too short, in my opinion. If you were asked to tell what happened today, yesterday, any ordinary day, you'd likely give a more detailed account. And this was no ordinary day. On top of that, what she does say is just vague, which is unfortunate because it doesn't leave many facts to check. Now, on the other hand, Dylan's alibi is very detailed. He did a lot that day, and most of it checks out. He did go to MUNA Federal Credit Union, Pictures were recovered from the security cameras inside, placing him there at 12.30 p.m., though I have no way of explaining why Christian would have sent his friend on an obviously impossible mission to withdraw all the money from his account. Dylan also said he went to Chick-fil-A, and there was a receipt found in the apartment with a time of 1.06 p.m., so that also seems to check out. But during the coroner's time of death, 3.30 p.m., Dylan claimed he was at Best Buy, not at the apartment. He named three different employees who saw him in the store that day that could verify him being there. And we actually have those three employees on record because around this time, the Andriacchios had two private investigators working for them. They asked to remain anonymous. But they actually contacted each of these employees to see if any of them could confirm that Dylan was in the store on the 26th. Here's what they had to say.
4: I was at work. all the day, I can't really, you know, remember who exactly. I feel like a ton of people a day.
2: It was about that long ago that I saw Dylan here at Best Buy. I just, I don't really don't remember if it was that date or not, to be honest. I've seen him in the store for several times. Uh, as far as to what date and time, then I wouldn't be able to give you a precise date and time.
3: I wish you would call me beforehand. We could check the video and see if he was in there. Me personally, I was never contacted by any of the police department about it. Not for that footage. Not one of these employees could say that Dylan was there that day. And if you caught that part towards the end there, it's important to note that police never asked for video footage from Best Buy. Of course, by the time the private investigators asked for the video, the store no longer had the recordings from that day. I want to point back to what Chris said earlier, because he's absolutely right. There should have been more questions asked, but there wasn't. So after Dylan and Whitley were let go from the station, all that was left was two varying statements and a bunch of questions. And the questions continued to mount. When Chris picked up Josh from his boat, and they went to the apartment to look around. I picked him up
2: that night, and um, he was shocked. And he he Josh is very very quiet, kept to himself, and um, I think he was trying to figure it out in his head on the way back home. And he just kept asking, you know. He said, "I, I don't understand." He said, "He didn't do this." He said, "He told me he was leaving, getting off the boat, but he was going to be back." in the morning. He said, so I don't understand what's going on. The next day, we go to Christian's apartment during the day. And I had my mind kind of a little bit, a little straight to be able to start asking myself questions of looking at things. And I remember Josh saying something about it being a hole in the mattress. It was there. And matter of fact, the I believe the reason that he noticed it was because the sheets on the mattress had been pulled back or was off, and so the bare mattress was laying there. And two, I think Christian had told Josh that there was some money or something in a safe somewhere, and Josh was concerned that somebody was looking for it or something to that nature. And it very well could have been. You know, there was... We went upstairs. There was things in the bathroom that you know just didn't didn't look right. Josh had his camera and his phone, and he was taking pictures. We took pictures of the bathroom there was There was no blood splatter on the walls, but there was a just a single stream of blood going down through the middle of the bathtub and come to find out that he he was leaned over into the bathtub. There was no blood splatter on the inside of the walls of the bathtub. There was a little bit on the outside of the door. So the door opened to the inside of the bathroom. So the outside of the door would have been on the inside. There was nothing on the back of the door. Dylan said that to the private detectives, that he walked up there and the door was closed. So that's kind of impossible for there to be blood splatter on the outside of the door. And it was just little bitty flex. It wasn't a whole bunch. There was a hole beside the light switch on the uh, interior of the bathroom. When you walk through the door, the light switch is to your right. And it was a little bitty hole that the police department brushed away saying that that was a ricochet they said they found one singular casing in the bathtub which it was over to the right but the gun supposedly was found on christian's left-hand side which he was right-handed and it was decocked and that particular type of pistol doesn't decock itself Originally I didn't think that he was shot in that bathroom. With a tight pistol that was used and him being right handed and the position that he was in that, that I found out that he was in, that left wall should have been it should have been blood everywhere. Everywhere. And it wasn't. I mean it was as clean as, as the walls that are were sitting in, in this room. That bathroom was cleaned up. He said that he came into the apartment, sat down, and she was asleep, but he says, I went upstairs and knocked on the bathroom door and asked Christian, are you okay? That one statement has stuck with me forever because one, how many times are you going to go into a friend's apartment And if they're not right there and there, you're probably going to sit down on the couch, watch TV. Four or five minutes goes by, you know, I wonder where they are. You know, hey, you're going to holler, hey, I'm here. That's not what he said he did. He said he went in. Christian was not downstairs. She was asleep. He goes upstairs and knocks on the door and says, hey, are you okay? Why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be okay? The girl, her saying that she was asleep and never heard the gun go off. Now, I mean, really? A lot of things you can explain away, but you can't explain that away. If you've been in that apartment, that apartment is, I don't know, I'm guessing, maybe 700 square feet, and it's an upstairs and a downstairs, and the apartment building was built back in the 80s. Wasn't real good insulation put in those apartments. And to have a... 45 go off in a small apartment like that it would wake up the dead but that is a convenient way to say I don't know I don't know I didn't I didn't have anything to do with it and I don't know who did I was asleep my theory is that there was a third person there that's my theory I don't think that they could have overtaken him together I personally think that they probably owed somebody money, and they came up with some type of storyline to get him to come home off the boat. That that I mean, Christian had a whole bunch of good friends that had gone and got him. You know, so that's that's why I never have really understood why he would have had this guy come get him. I don't think Christian was close enough friends with Dylan, for him to call and ask him to come pick him up for any other reason other than Dylan was feeding him information that night. I hope for their sake that there is a third person. But again, that's just my theory. Just for the simple reason that I think they're both mentally capable of doing that. I don't think they were physically capable of doing it. They were mentally capable of coming up with a story, a storyline to get Christian off that boat. But I think they had help. So, and at the end of the day, don't be confused. This is not about, I don't want anybody to think this is about, uh, about revenge or vengeance or anything on Ray and Todd's part. This is about a parent wanting to have closure. Wanting to know that she did everything that she could do for her son to make sure that either his story was told or that that this doesn't happen to somebody else. Because look, if people are willing for whatever reason, whatever sick, demeaning reason they have for t- trying to keep this quiet, uh, which is what it looks like to us, if they'll do it to us, then they'll do it to anybody you know, you and I had a conversation yesterday and I told you, I said, Ray's not the only person that's ever lost a child. And unfortunately, she won't be the last. I've gone to a couple of funerals in the last five years of people who've lost children. The major difference between this situation and 99% of the other ones out there is when you lose a child to a drunk driver or to... You know, some type of car wreck or something like that. The tragedy is just as bad. But at least you know where to focus your anger. At least you know how they died. At least you know why they died. Ray hadn't gotten that. Todd hadn't gotten that. This family hasn't gotten that. We don't know how he died. We, we, we know how he died. He took a 4-5 to five caliber in his head. That's, that's what killed him. But we don't know how all that transpired. We know because of his character and the way and his personality that he didn't do it to himself. So I don't want anybody to think this is a a vengeance or a revenge or, you know. Just to be honest, we we don't care who did it, as long as we find out who it was. And as long as they're questioned and, and they're put in front of a jury and a jury decides that, hey, you know, there's not enough evidence to convict this person, then are we going to like it? Nope. It's going to make us sick at our stomach. But at least we'll have had an opportunity for that person to stand trial for what they did. So that's what this is about.
3: A lot stood out to Chris. Lack of blood spatter. A small amount of blood spatter on the outside of the door, which was supposedly closed. A bullet-sized hole in the wall next to the light switch. And he later learned that the gun was found on Christian's left side, he was right-handed. And the gun was decocked, which the gun Christian owned, a Kimber 45, is not designed to do. A lot, right? But there's still one more piece of evidence we need to discuss that makes things even more complex than they already are. Christian, Dylan, and Whitley were all tested for gunshot residue. Here's the results.
5: According to the Mississippi Crime Laboratory, particles indicative of gunshot residue were observed to be present in the following samples. Christian, right palm and back of left hand. Dylan, back of right hand, back of left hand, and left palm. Whitley, back of right hand, right palm, back of left hand, and left palm.
3: I can't say for certain why Christian and Dylan had gunshot residue on their hands. There's nothing noted in the report to indicate that Dylan was ever questioned about the residue found on his hands. As for the residue found on Whitley's hands, she had an excuse. When MPD told her they'd be testing for gunshot residue, Whitley immediately made it known that she would test positive because she shot a gun the night before. She says that she was out that night with Matt Miller, and they, along with a few other friends, met at Matt's cousin, Jet Miller's house, and shot a gun in a nearby field.
2: The one that really bothered me the most about having gun residue on his hands was Dylan Swearingen. He wasn't there, according to him. So maybe through the mysterious magic bullet theory, the gunpowder residue floated downstairs into the bedroom and landed on her hands, okay? And while it was at it, it kind of lingered at the door until Dylan walked in and stuck on his hands, you know, two hours later. I'm not a gunshot expert, but everything I've read online, every time I've talked to people who, who know about guns, you have to be in the general vicinity of the gun being fired for it to even get on you. And keep in mind, (laughs) that the door to the bathroom was closed. A text
5: conversation between Whitley Goodman and Matt Miller. March 1st, 2014.
7: This is Whitley. What you doing? I feel like you're avoiding me.
5: March 3rd.
7: Hey, because I had gun residue on my hands from us shooting guns and they asked who it's with, You're not a suspect. They already declared it to be a suicide because they know by the ballistic tests what kind of gun that was shot and what time and the gunpowder on Christian's hands.
3: You should know that the gunshot residue results were not released until March 31st.
7: When did they question you?
3: They didn't, his family did.
7: What did they say?
3: Saying that it wasn't suicide and I better pray I wasn't behind it. Like I always get caught up in shit because of you.
7: I'm getting threatened, too, but I can't help it. That's not even the issue to me. The issue is that he's gone. And there's no way it was a homicide, either, because he was shot in the side of the head. I didn't even know that till yesterday, and I didn't have his kind of gunpowder on my hands.
3: And I'm sorry he's gone, but I didn't talk to him or nothing, and I'm in it.
7: Because I shot guns with you the night before he shot himself, Matt.
3: Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13. Written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Minnery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsey. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsey. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirk Poor Robbins. Cover art by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated.